of our bulletin, we're looking at the life of John the Baptist who comes to, uh, who foreshadows the coming of the Christ and who will proclaim him. And so we were looking at uh, the birth of John. This scripture can be found at Luke 1, 57 through 66. Hear the words of the Lord. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her. And they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came in all the neighbors. And all these things were talked about through the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it was a big football day yesterday. Rivalry Sunday, as they call it. I don't know if you participated in some way, shape, or form, whether you went to a game, if you were in Blacksburg on Friday. Uh, congratulations to the Hokies yet again beating the Cavaliers as my sorrow continues. I was actually in a bar somewhere. Uh, no, you can't say that. I'm a pastor. Um, nonetheless, it was Auburn, Alabama. There was Georgia, Georgia Tech. You know, people get into their college football, don't they? There are some strange football traditions that have evolved in efforts to try to sort of push your team over the edge. Uh, for instance, in Syracuse, they burn shoes. They burn the cleats of the uh, people who played last year in some way so as to cleanse them of the poor plane and to refresh them for the, for the plane. They toilet paper trees at Auburn in Iowa, they have made the entire visitor's locker room pink, meaning all of the toilets, all of the everything, pink, the visitor's locker room, because a psychologist discovered that pink is a calming color, and therefore it's supposed to calm them down. Now, there are a variety of chants out there as well, aren't there? Anyone familiar with what I think is my favorite chant, the suey pig chant of Arkansas? Okay, anyone? Okay, the suey pig chant goes something like this, okay? This is kind of embarrassing, but hey, I get paid to do this. So you go ahead and you start here, and as you're wiggling your hands, you start going, Sue pig, suey. <laughs> and then at the very end, th thank you, thank you. Pig suey, okay? Whole fan, whole fan base doing it. It's really embarrassing, but hey, it's the University of Arkansas. There are a host of other. Uh, UVA has a strange tradition called the fourth year fifth, which has absolutely nothing to do with football, where uh, fourth years, presumably 21 and older, smuggle a hip flask of bourbon into the game, uh, and they drink it, creating somewhat of a raucous atmosphere. Now I know why we're so terrible. If we did a suey pig, we'd be winning all the time. But no. Well, I'm not bitter. I'm better. There's strange football traditions out there. You know, but there's a big difference between a spectator, being a spectator and being a participant. 
I forget who it was that said that football is 50,000 people in desperate need of exercise watching 12 people who are in desperate need of rest. Spectating is differently different than participating. In spectating, you show up that day in your finest, but all week, in fact, all their life, the people who are out on the field have made a commitment. They've been training. They've been sacrificing. They've been making the decision every day to get up and go out there again. Some of them maybe to even just get one down to play. Some of them to get none. Football, at its heart, is a participation sport. And Christianity is too. Because God calls us in the gospel not to spectate, but to participate. In the same way as it's a challenging call for someone who wants to take the gridiron, it's a challenging call of God to follow in His ways. Not to spectate, but to participate. It's a personal call. It's a call into the unknown. It's a call of faith to step out. A daunting task with simply God's promise, I will be with you and I will not forsake you. But the question is, will we? This passage is about Zechariah's decision whether to spectate or to participate. The question is the same for us 2,000 years later. Will we spectate in this thing called Christianity or will we participate? Zechariah passed the test and so must we. In order to do so, we have to do three things. Why do we do three things? Because we always do three things. And I love three things. Number one, we have to see the bigger picture. There's something going on in this story that's greater than what we simply think is going on. We have to look through circumstances to see what God is doing. We have to see the bigger picture. Then number two, we have to choose to participate in the plan. Whatever this picture is, we've got to get involved to make a decision to participate. And finally, number three, we have to get to enjoy the peace that comes with being part of the plan rather than watching it from outside. Christ gives us the power to move from being a spectator to a participant. Therefore, you and I must choose to participate in God's path for you, wherever it may lead, because it always leads back to God. Well, let's look at these points. Number one, see the bigger picture. Luke 1.57 says, Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. Now keep in mind, Elizabeth is pretty old here. In fact, well advanced in years. This isn't like someone in their 40s deciding to have a child in our modern day. She's probably older than that. And so there is a danger for her having a child. But the time came for her to give birth and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy for her. And they rejoiced with her. They had shown mercy. God had shown mercy. She had, he had taken away her disgrace. Because to not have children back then was somewhat of a disgrace. God had shown great mercy in allowing her to have the child and to live afterwards. And so they rejoiced that this little one was born. But no one really stopped to see the bigger picture. Why is this old lady having a child? No one, as far as I can tell, has put a gag order on Elizabeth. Surely she's been talking about 
the role of this child, that this child is special, that what God is going to do through this child is going to be something that's never been done before. But it appears that the crowd has taken no notice. Yes, of course, Elizabeth, you're going to have a child. It's a great thing. Let's not go too far or get carried away. And so on the eighth day, as verse 59 says, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father. You see these neighbors and relatives, they're coming and they're coming to take charge of the situation, right? Zechariah is a little bit out of the picture, fumbling around over there. So they want to name him Zechariah, after his father, of course. See, giving a name is very important in that culture, isn't it? A name is something that describes their life, who they are to be. Zechariah means God remembers. And so God has remembered to give them a child, and so he must be given back to God. He must become a priest, like Zechariah has been. They are descendants of a, of a Levi. They are to be priests. And so they would name him Zechariah. They would put him and contain him in the box that they have marked out for him, that they could see and understand. We do the same thing, don't we? Oh, my child is going to be this because his father does this and his and so on and so on and so on. They were ready to fit uh, Zechariah in this square peg into this square hole. But his mother answered, no, not Zechariah. He shall be called John. My friends and relatives, there is a different path for this one. Not the path that you have marked out, but a path that leads to somewhere else. John means God is gracious. Not only God remembers, but God is remembered and now God is gracious and you are to see it. But they responded in verse 61 and they said, none of your relatives is called by this name. Elizabeth, stay with the safe bet, you know. No one ever got fired for buying IBM. Any businessmen remember that? Choose the company. Choose someone who has the record. You can trust it. It's been there before. Zechariah works. No one's going to, there are no problems. None of your relatives is called by that name. And so they push back against Elizabeth. But Elizabeth does not give up because she knows that this one, John, has a different destiny. Well, the neighbors and relatives aren't done, are they? They want to settle this. And so they appeal to the father who cannot speak. Remember, Zechariah has been struck dumb in the... Uh, He's been struck mute and he's been struck deaf, excuse me, because of what happened that he did not believe God's promise. And they made signs to the father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. We're going to settle this. All the eyes look to Zechariah. And Zechariah has a choice here. Is he going to want to spectate or is he going to want to participate? See, the reason Zechariah was deaf and mute was he refused to believe the promises of God. How can we have a child, angel? We're old and advanced in years. How can our child be the one who stands in place of Elijah to herald the coming of the Messiah himself? No, Zechariah chose to spectate. And so he was benched. 
But here comes the call, Zechariah. What do you want to call him? You know, it's easy to spectate, isn't it? It's easy to refuse to believe. To put hope in something that you don't know is going to occur. You know, critics abound, right? Watch a newscast, watch a president's speech, and there are no shortage of people that want to give an interpretation. Two of my favorite critics are the guys in the Muppet Show. Right? They do their little shtick, and then it goes to these two guys sitting up in a place. Oh, that was horrible. Oh, oh, oh. They're criticizing. They're ready to spectate, but they're not ready to participate. It's easy to spectate and not participate. It's easy for us too, isn't it? Ah, God's not really working in my life. Whatever's going on, it's just sort of same day at the office, right? We'll name him Zachariah. It works. It's safe. It's no problem. But God, who is working in Zachariah's life, is most surely working in your life. Do we not worship a risen Savior who is alive? Is the Holy Spirit not moving in your heart as well? God is moving in your life as much as He is moving in Zacharias. And He calls us to participate in His plan, in His mission. He calls us to be His ambassadors, going in His stead, representing Him in this mission, this plan that encompasses the changing of the entire world. And so we too, like Zechariah, have a choice. As the eyes come upon us, as God turns His gaze upon us, will we spectate or will we participate? The choice is ours. You know, one of my favorite football movies is Rudy. Remember Rudy, the diminutive young uh, football player from the steel town of wherever, who wants to play at Notre Dame? Well, there's only one problem. He's not fast, he's short, and his grades are horrible. But Rudy is not to be deterred. Even though he doesn't have all the qualities necessary, he desperately wants to play. He wants to participate. His parents tell him that he's foolish. Do what we've always done. We work at the steel mills. I'll get you a job. You'll go up through the ranks. At some point, you will replace me as foreman of your particular shift. Don't go off on this pipe dream. But Rudy gets on the train, even without his parents being for him. And he has to go to Holy Cross or whatever because he can't get into Notre Dame. And he slaves away. In fact, he doesn't even have a place to live. So he starts sneaking into the locker room. He gets a job as a landscaper on the Notre Dame field just so he can be near it, just so he can be in there working on his dream. Well, you know the story. Rudy finally makes the team, or at least the practice squad, where he gets the honor of getting pummeled every single week, preparing the, the scholarship guys to go out there. Rudy just wants to get out on the field once. They say, you have to play, you have to dress at least once to letter at Notre Dame. And so after four years on the practice squad, his time comes. It's the final game. He really wants to get in. He looks for his name and it's not there. And guess what? Rudy has a choice. Do I choose to participate even though I don't get in the game, but to do my part to be in the game? 
And he has that choice where he walks away and he comes back. And we know the great story at the end of the day where people are so uh, inspired by his willingness to participate that in the end he actually does. See, Rudy had a choice to walk away, but he said no. The question I have for you is simply this. Are you a spectator or are you a participant? Do you want in or are you much more comfortable sitting on the sidelines? See, you become a participant when you move from making sideline judgments to seeking out what God is doing. To participate is to abandon your will and to wholeheartedly commit to His. God has called you to be a participant. Jesus said, you will do even greater things than I will do. You will raise the dead. Is it more powerful to heal someone's legs or to move their hearts from death to life? from hell to heaven. You will be my witnesses. And so, if you want to participate, you have to say no to the crowd and say yes to God. I want to participate. And then you have to prove it. God says, here's the playbook. It's called the Bible. Read it. Learn about my ways. I'll communicate to you in it how I would have you live. Here's your team. I've got a church for you. People who want to participate too. Find the people who are running hard and join up with them. Here's your coach. I've got a, a, a line leader for you. I've got a pastor. But in the end, I will be with you and I will teach you what it means to walk in a way that I am, that I live. I will give you my Holy Spirit. I will teach you what it means to be a godly man or woman. And finally, here is your mission to go and change the world. Believe, obey, represent. You know, God doesn't choose people because of their ability. He chooses people because of their availability. God chooses losers, thank goodness, because God makes losers winners. What's the difference? They choose to participate. So we must choose whether to participate or spectate. We must see the bigger picture. Well, number two, we must participate in this plan. If we see the bigger picture, if you want to cross over, look at Lazarus. We go back, excuse me, Zechariah. We go back and the whole world is waiting to see what will Zechariah say. Verse 63, and he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. You know, he didn't say his name shall be John, did he? He said his name is John. Why? He'd already been named, hadn't he? The angel Gabriel told him what the name of his child was to be. His name is John. God gives new names to people. You know, Adam, Abraham, Sarah, Jesus, John. In fact, the scriptures say at the end of all things, God will give you a new name. God gives a new name. Do we accept it? See, Zechariah, by saying his name is John, is saying that this child, God, is yours. And he is to walk in your plan, not the plan that I had. To, to accept God's plan is to release yours. Amidst your doubts and hopes 
all the things that he felt about his son like anyone else did. This was Zachariah's test. You know, one of the biggest tests in your life will simply be this. What happens when you get what you want? Think how many times Zachariah prayed for this. And he gets what he wants. But God says to him, what I am giving you, I want. So I want you to hold it with an open hand. All too often, God gives a gift, and guess what? I say, thank you very much, and I walk. I didn't give this for you because it belongs to you. I gave it to you to steward. And if we hold on to it and we run from it, we'll never see the power of God in it because we've effectively hid it under a bushel instead of letting it shine. Zachariah's test, he passed. He failed the first time. He got benched and he missed out. But this time he didn't. And God's purpose is never fail. We simply get to enjoy or miss out on the blessings based on our desire to participate or to spectate. Well, here is the result of Zechariah passing the test. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. The results, listen to them, they're immediate. Immediately his mouth was opened. It was just God was waiting for him to get in the game. And he not only immediately spoke, but what he spoke was praise to God. Blessing to God. See, praise is the symptom of an obedient heart. Praise is a symptom of someone who has released their greatest things to God. Zechariah lost his voice, but when he decided to participate, he found it. There's not confusion. There was conviction. There was confidence. Obedience brings confidence. I love the verse in Isaiah 40. I waited patiently for the Lord and He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a first firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. See, that's what I, uh, Zechariah was doing. Now, it's easy for us to look at Zechariah and these people and go, they had something extraordinary. We, we can't have, they were the greatest generation, if you will. You know, there's one who did even greater than Zechariah. And because of him, we can do exactly what Zechariah did. Is it not Jesus Christ who was given a name by his father, who was called to participate in the work of salvation, who was given a destiny to rule by giving his life away. God said to him, if you want to participate, though you are a king, you must become like a pawn. Though you are a ruler, you must be servant of all. You know, there are plenty of spectators in the life of Jesus, weren't there? The Pharisees, Pharisees are the Muppet judges, aren't they? All these people explaining what was going on. And yet Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Jesus learned obedience. What does that mean? It means every day, every hour, every minute of his life, he had to choose. Am I going to 
hop off the field and be a spectator or am I going to participate in the plan that God has for me? His destiny was to die and to redeem. His participation led to his resurrection. And this same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is in you. The reason you can do this is not because of your own strength, but rather because of the one who's strong, who's working in your heart, who has the ability to take you from being on the bench onto the field. You don't have the courage, but he does. And he's in you and you're in him. You don't have the confidence and boldness, but he does. And he's in you and you are in him. He gives you ability to get in the game. There's another great football tradition out there. It's called the 12th man. If anyone knows the story about the 12th man, uh, it's, uh, probably the most famous iteration is with Texas A&M. The Aggies, the agricultural school. And uh, it goes all the way back to 1922. You didn't realize you were going to get a whole football lore here thing, okay? Pretty exciting. You know, make sure to uh, uh, buy a cup of coffee with that and uh, you'll get your money's worth. Basically what was happening was this Aggie team was uh, defeating the national champion. But the problem was there were so many injuries that the coach feared they wouldn't have enough guys to field a team. And so the coach had someone go into the student section and find E. King Gill, a student who had left the football program to go play basketball. He was actually spotting players for a Waco newspaper, was not dressed in uniform, was simply doing his own thing. And the coach said, hey, we need you. And so you know what Gill did? Gill did, he answered the call. He went down, he actually changed into an injured player's uniform and got on the sidelines ready to be put in if the need should arise. The truth of the matter is, it never had to. Gill says, I wish I could say that I went in and ran for the winning touchdown. But I did not. I simply stood by in case my team needed me. At the end of the game, there was only one person standing on the sideline. And it was Gill. Did Gill choose to spectate or participate? His role wasn't necessarily huge, was it? It often isn't. You know, no one talks about the rest of the guys on that team, do they? You didn't even know about them. But gee, everybody knows the 12th man. God calls us to participate, not to spectate. So God's path always leads back to him. What's your point of decision? Where is it where God has gone up into the sidelines in your life and said, it's time to participate? Maybe it's your life. Maybe you're not a Christian. And God is saying to you, I want you. Come, follow me. Maybe it's your relationships. I've never given my marriage to God. I've never given my parenting to God. That's separate. Maybe God wants to work in that very area of your life. And he's saying, participate. Oh, what difference will it make? It'll make all the difference in the world. See, Christ wants your availability, not your ability. Maybe it's your work. God says, I want you to give this to me. I'm going to work in your life. I'm going to do a miraculous thing. Just trust me. 
Maybe it's your resources, your money, your talents, your skills. I don't know what it is. But God wants you to surrender the thing that you want most. He wants you to participate in the plan. And he's not pleased with anything less than total surrender. That's the way he works. And so you make a decision. And then make a proclamation. And then make a move. See the bigger picture and participate in the plan. To participate is to abandon your will to God and wholeheartedly commit to His will for you. This brings me to my final point, to enjoy the peace. Zechariah's mouth in 64 is immediately opened and he starts praising God. And fear came on all the neighbors. And all these things were talked about. And all who heard them put them up in their hearts saying, who will this child be? See, Zechariah and Elizabeth, I can see him that night, right, getting in bed. What a day. There's something about being obedient and surrendered to God at the end of the day when you put your head on the pillow. You may not know what the heck is going on or what you said yes to, but you do know this, that as best as you know, you're in the will of God and you know what? That brings peace and it brings conviction and it brings hope. They had an excitement to their life. They had rest. They had a closeness to God. And because they were both sold out, they had a closeness with each other. But what about the spectators? They were afraid. And not the good fear, like the fear of the Lord. They were afraid because the status quo was being messed up. They didn't have conviction, they had speculation. They had confusion. What then will this child be? They heard, but they didn't believe. They saw the trees, but they didn't see the forest. See, spectators never get the joy. Not really. They get the joy maybe of seeing something, but then they go home. It's the participants. It was Roosevelt who said, Far better is it to dare mighty things, to win glorious triumphs, even though checkered by failure, than to rank with those poor souls who neither enjoy nor suffer much because they live in a great twilight that knows not victory nor defeat. This isn't a rah-rah speech. This is the call of the gospel. If you give your life to me, I will imbue it with power, with decision, with boldness and conviction. Now walk. God will always give you enough light to take the next step. It's not going to show you the whole path. It's not what it means to participate. It means to start walking. The most important result, and I'll close with this, is not that Zechariah knows what is going to happen. It's that he knows who is going to make it happen. And his confidence is no longer in the uncertain future. His confidence is in God. And so he praises because praise is the symptom of an obedient heart. There's an article out in the paper about uh, Mark today. I haven't got a chance to see it yet. The pilot came by and they wanted to see how we were doing. You know, there's a whole lot of confusion in my heart about it. There's uncertainty. On one side, I could say to you, I know exactly why this is happening. I know exactly how it's going to turn out. But the other side of me says, 
I can't believe this has happened to me. This happens to other people. But God is saying to me in the quietness of my heart, do you want to spectate or do you want to participate? Do you trust me that if you get all in with participating in my plan, even though you don't understand it all, that there will be glory and there will be peace and conviction. The greatest participation you can have is God working in your life. You're in the game field, not out there. Your ministry is your life. So if you participate, you will praise, you will rest, you will ponder, but you will live. Christ gives us the power to move from being a spectator to a participant. Therefore, choose to participate in God's path for you, for wherever it leads, it ultimately will lead back to Him. So abandon your will and wholeheartedly commit to His. You can and will do so through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, you do not want us to live in the gray twilight that knows neither victory nor defeat. Lord, you have come to make all things new. Lord, and you accept no less than our total participation. You say, come to me and I will give you rest. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And so, Lord, as best as we know how, with the things that we hold dearest, give us the courage and the strength and the conviction by your Holy Spirit to give everything to you. The good, Lord, the bad, the ugly. Take it, Lord. Just put me in. I want to play. We pray all of these things in Christ's name.